0: Well, this morning, I'm going to invite you to take the same step, to pre-decide to take the same step that Steve did and to get in a group. And I recognize uh, that among our groups today, that there's people on both extremes and a lot of people in the middle. And on one extreme, there are people like, Rick, I don't know if this message is for me. I'm already in a group. Can I just take a nap? The answer is no. We got stuff for you today, too. And then we got people on the opposite end of the stream, and you're thinking, Rick, it doesn't matter what you say. I'm never joining a small group. I'm going to ask you to stay engaged and and listen, and then there's a lot of people kind of in between. This message is for all of us. Today, I'm going to ask you to pre-decide to get in a group. I'm going to ask you to pre-decide to be a certain way when you get in that group, regardless if you're not in a group yet, even if you don't know what the group is, even if you don't know who's in it, even if you don't know what the experience is like, even if you don't know how God's going to use that, and where it's going to take you, that you would just just predecide. This is so important to my life as a follower of Jesus. This is so important to the body of Christ. It's so important to the mission. I'm in. I'm doing it. I'm predeciding. And if the concept of predecision, if, if that's a new term for you, or uh, maybe you haven't been able to be with us over the past several weeks of, of this series, the concept of predecision, it's something that is often the result it's found at the intersection of two very important things purpose and wisdom when wisdom and purpose collide often a predecision is something that comes out of it we see it all throughout the old testament the book of proverbs is absolutely dripping with it we see it all over the life of jesus jesus is the ultimate predecider we see it all throughout the new testament we've looked each week as how the apostle paul he doesn't use the word predecision but we see the concept as we read this together look for the intersection of wisdom and purpose do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Don't waste this time and the opportunity that you have and that I have. Let's run to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. Those are pre-decision type stuff. They do it to get a crown. that's not going to last. But we do it to get a crown. that's going to last forever. We have an incredible purpose. Therefore, I don't run like someone running aimlessly. Anybody go to a kids' soccer game this weekend, see any little kids running aimlessly? We're not doing that. All right? I don't run like, <laughs> I don't run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave. You say, I'm disciplined. I'm making kind of decisions right now that are really important so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. For the prize. And the prize is not going to heaven. The prize is not salvation. It is anti-gospel. It is anti-Jesus to think that we could compete for that, that we could earn that, that we could achieve that. No, 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 no. The forgiveness we receive, the love we receive, the acceptance we receive, the delight that we receive from God is a gift that comes to us by what Jesus did on the cross and the resurrection. It is a gift of grace, and we receive that. By trusting in Jesus. We receive that by our faith, by giving our allegiance to him. And if there's anyone in here or watching online and and you've been kind of at the crossroads, you've been at the at the decision line and you haven't crossed over today, I would ask you, would you trust in Jesus? Would you trust him by faith? But for the rest of us in here, we would say, Rick, I'm a follower of Jesus. If we are followers of Jesus, then we should be captivated and compelled by running for the prize. And the prize that the Apostle Paul was writing about was was being able to lead other people to know Jesus and follow Jesus. That's the prize, to be able to help other people know Jesus and the people who know Jesus follow him. And as a church... That's what we want to be about. That's why we exist, to lead people to be fully voted followers of Jesus. We want people to know Jesus and people who know Jesus to follow him, to grow in their relationship, their discipleship with him. That's 100% what we're about as a church. And if you ever wonder, why does our church do what we do? If we ever make a decision, you're like, why do we make that decision? Here's the cheat code. Here's the cheat code. 100% of the time, it's we're making the decision that we think best contributes to us being able to lead people to know Jesus and better follow Jesus. It doesn't mean we're going to get it right all of the time. Any church I'm a part of is never going to get it right all the time. But that's our disposition. That's where we're aimed. We want to see people grow as fully devoted followers of Jesus to come to know him and those who know him to grow in their relationship with him. Now. This is a lean in moment. You ready to lean in? You gotta, we got to pay attention to this. It is so good to want that. It is so good to want that. It's just not good enough to want it. Wanting it just isn't good enough. You see, one of the major difference between wanting the prize and winning the prize can be seen in all the countless. Little decisions that are made in obscurity, that build and build and build on each other, setting us up to be able to win. And those kind of choices, those kind of decisions, we're calling pre-decisions. It's an attitude. It's a disposition. It's, a, it's an embrace of wisdom that says, I'm not going to wait until the moment comes I'm deciding right now. I'm doing things right now that's going to set me up to win later. And so as a church, we've been thinking about this, we've made this our series thesis. It's an anthem that we're saying over and over again each week. Wise people don't just make good decisions, they make pre-decisions. Wise people don't just make good decisions. We're going to make pre-decisions. And there might be some of us in here who's like, yeah, I don't know. I'm not convinced. Or maybe, or maybe you're like I am sometimes. I hear something, I'm like, that's great, and I write it down, and I get in the car, and life happens, and I kind of forget about it. Well what happens if we don't embrace this? Let's look at it from that angle. People who only decide in the moment won't always be wrong, but they'll never be wise. Come on, is that true? People who only decide in the moment. They're not always going to be wrong. You won't always be wrong. Which you'll never be wise. I want to talk to, I want to talk to the twenty-something. I want to talk to the under thirty crowd, the young adults in our in our room and watching online uh, right now. If you're if you're thirty or older, you can still listen, but I'm really I'm really talking to the under to the under thirty crowd. You're at a time in life where you are probably grinding. A lot of you guys are going to school and working. Some of you are, you're not going to school anymore. You're just working and it can feel like you only have enough time to get the work done and to sleep and you barely have enough time to do the other important things, much less the things you want to do. It would mean the world to us if our church really does feel like a church for you, if this could be a soft landing spot for you where you receive encouragement and find community. And so I'm talking to everybody right now, your age begins with the number two. If your age begins with a number two and you make it a habit right now to start leveraging the power of predecisions in your life, it's going to pay off like you can't believe as your life unfolds. And if there's anybody in here and your age begins with a number one, your age begins with a number one, and you start making it a habit to leverage the power of predecisions in your life. Not only are you going to end up being wise, you are going to end up being one of the wisest. You are way too important. Your life is way too valuable. The good things you desire are way too important for you to not give yourself the gift of predecisions right now, especially in the areas of life that are most important to you. All right, now let me talk to everybody else. For those of us who our age begins with a three or four or five, six or something higher. And maybe we're saying to ourselves, I don't know, man, too much of my life. I didn't totally understand the power of predecisions. Or there's a long chunk of my life, I didn't really leverage the power of predecision in my life. Guess what? There's good news for us too. You know, you know the best time to plant a tree? You know what the answer to that is? Twenty years ago. You know the second best time to plant a tree? Today. Yes, today. And so let's be people, for those of us who are young. For those of us who are not young, wherever we're at on the journey of life, let's be people who plant good things. Let's be people who rally around this concept together. We understand we are going to leverage the power of predecisions in our lives. And the way as a church we've tried to rally around that is we've decided to look at the first church ever. Say, I have a Bible. I'd love for you to... Open it up and turn to this passage. If you like to use your phone, that's great too. You can use your Bible app and open up to Acts chapter 2. If you're still trying to get familiar with how the Bible's laid out, this is the kind of the second half of the Bible called the New Testament. It's the fifth book in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Uh, that's where you wanna, that's where you wanna be. And so we're looking at this church because this is the very first church ever from the first day of the first church they were experiencing what it's like to win the prize and in, in a number of ways they are an example to every single church and so they're an example to our church and and so we're looking at them and we're seeing is there anything that we can learn from their example from what they experience that could help us know what kind of predecisions do we need to be making and I, I love this. It's, a, it's not quite two months since Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead. Jesus has now ascended into heaven. And there's a small band of Christians who are together. The Holy Spirit supernaturally empowered them. Men and women are out in the street. They're sharing the gospel. There's a huge crowd trying to figure out what's going on. The apostle Peter stands up in front of everyone. And he preaches this epic sermon And this is what happens immediately at the end of that sermon. Those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. Astounding. And now this is what that church was about after that. This is the way to describe them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. They were devoted to God's word. They were devoted to To getting together, probably in large groups, definitely in smaller, more intimate groups. They were devoted to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They got together in smaller groups and they ate together. They shared life together. They prayed together. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. This is a collection of believers, a collection of brand new believers who are defined by worship and gratitude. The things they want to talk about most are the things that God is doing among them. How awesome is that? All the believers were there together and had everything in common. It didn't mean that they all rooted for the same football team. I mean, that they shared all of their stuff together as though it belonged to everyone and not just someone. That's amazing. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in temple courts, large group stuff. And they continued meeting, So they continued meeting in temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, that's small group stuff, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Twice it's mentioned that they're gathering in smaller groups eating. You know, and Bibles are just like moms. When they repeat something, it's important. All right? It's important. Gathering together in smaller groups, sharing a meal, sharing life, super, super important. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. We could say it like this. Every single day, that church was growing. And it was growing because people were coming into the family of God. People were choosing to trust and follow Jesus. And there was something about watching this group that made Jesus more clear and made the gospel more clear. Now this is a point of clarity for us. I think this is incredibly important. All the things that they experienced cannot be reduced just to their choices, right All the things that, that were happening in their group and among the city, it's not just because they, they made good choices. And we want to be a church that follows their example, but we want to break up with bad thinking. here's bad thinking. Bad thinking is if we plug into a certain kind of formula or if we just hit a checklist, we'll get the exact same experiences too. That's not how it works. God supplied the power. They participated. God started this by his spirit. He was at work in them and they joined in and they participated. And we want to be that kind of church too. What is God up to? What is God doing? Where is God moving? We want to participate in that. Guys, I got to tell you something. I cannot stop believing what I'm going to tell you next. I just, I'm convinced of it. That the way God worked in and with and through that very first church is the way God wants to work in and with and through every church. Do you believe that? The way that God worked in and with and through that church, that very first church, I believe. I can't stop believing it. Sometimes I get so excited about it, I feel like I'm going to bust. The way that God worked in and with and through that church is the same way that God wants to work in and with and through this church with us. Do you believe that? I'm praying for that. Will you pray for that? I want to participate in that. Will you participate in that? Over the course of this series, we've been looking at them. We've invited you to say, would you commit to come to us to a weekend service every week? Once, and if you can't be here, we understand. But if you can be here, be here every week. Because we just believe that there's joy in gathering together. And that God loves to move when people gather together, to sing together, and collectively submit underneath his word together. Over the course of this series, we've invited you to give faithfully financially. And one of the reasons is because we believe that there's joy in funding the mission together. We've invited you over the course of this series to intentionally, on purpose, invest in love and the people in your life and invite those people to come with you when we gather together because we just believe this, that people share what they love with who they love. We've invited you over the course of this series to get on a ministry team. Use your spiritual gifts. Use what you have been given so you can help someone else. Maybe come to know Jesus and then grow in their relationship with Jesus. And we just believe there's joy in participating in the mission of God and doing it together. Now this is one of the there are a few things that we all get to serve together on. It's one of the reasons we get so excited about something like Ridgefest. It's an opportunity for all of us to serve together as a congregation. That's why we ask you to donate candy and keep our dentists in business. It's why we ask you to, to serve in, in whatever way you want to serve at Ridgefest. We love the people of the city of Rochester. We don't want anything from them. We want for them. We want to be a gift to them and as a church we're just, we just want to be, we geek out over opportunities to love them and to be a gift to them. That's why we do it. That's why we ask you to participate. And today the invitation is this. Would you just pre-decide? You are going to get together in a smaller group of people where you are living life together vulnerably. But here's why. The abundant life that Jesus talked about The full life, this amazing new life that Jesus gives us is not, we just believe, it is not experienced in isolation. It's not even experienced in a crowd. It's really intended by him to be experienced up close in intimate community with each other. If you're new to our church, whenever I talk to someone who's new to our church or new to church in general, almost always in the first or second conversation, I ask this question, do you have any friends here? Have you made any friends yet? Or if I'm talking to someone and uh, they're going through difficulty in life, they're going through some sort of hardship, I'm asking a similar question. Who's on your team? Who's got your back? Who are your friends with you in this? Do you know why I like to ask that question? Because our friendships will either blow up or grow up our faith. Who knows if that's true? our friendships will either blow up or grow up our faith. And we see this over and over again throughout the Old Testament. We see it over and over again throughout the New Testament. And I don't think you guys have time for me to read all the passages that talk about this and illustrate, so I'm gonna pick two. Here's the first one, and anybody who's got a teenager ought to memorize this one. Every youth pastor in America's got this one memorized. 1 Corinthians 15, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come on, that's true now. Bad company corrupts good character. And if the Apostle Paul were here today, I think he would say it is so true of who you gather with and who you're with physically. But if you were here today, I think he would say, you know what, it's probably just as true with who you gather with digitally. This applies to social media too. This applies to the trusted voices that we submit ourselves to digitally to. This supply, this applies to the news outlets and organizations and information purveyors that we give our allegiance to, to. And an underrealized or underappreciated fact about discipleship that sometimes we church people sometimes forget is that everything is trying to disciple us all the time. Everything is trying to disciple us all the time. And so why does it sometimes look like a follower of Jesus, someone who loves Jesus, why does it look like they're sometimes discipled more by culture than by Jesus? Why does it look sometimes like a follower, someone who loves Jesus is discipled more by political stuff than by Jesus? Why is it that sometimes it looks like someone who loves Jesus is discipled more by ideology than by Jesus? Why is it someone who we know, they are a follower of Jesus? Why does it feel like, what does it look like they're discipled more by negativity and fear than by Jesus? All of us, we got to look at who do we cluster with? Who do we gather with? Who is in our inner circle? And what tribe and trusted voices are we placing ourselves in? Our friendships will either blow up or grow up our faith. Let's state it positively. The writer of Hebrews says this, and let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds, because we can't do it alone. We need other people in our life pushing us forward. Let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some of you are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more while you see the day approaching. Basically, Jesus is coming back. We don't know when, but it's going to be soon. Let him return and find us doing this. Why? There's one big reason. Our friendships will either blow up or grow up our faith. If If you're a teenager, if you're a kid, this is one of the reasons, this lesson right here, this is one of the reasons why your parents annoy you with asking you questions like, who are you hanging out with? Who's going to be at the event that you're going to? It's because your mom and dad, they probably learned this lesson the hard way. And because they love you, they want you to learn it the easy way. But adults, grown-em-ups, this is for us too, right? There is no expiration date on this truth. It works if you're 17 or if you're 72. God hardwired you. And he hardwired me to affect our friends and to be affected By our friends. This is a big deal. There's no expiration date to this truth. I want to show you a picture of two friends. This is Hall of Fame NFL player Ray Lewis, one of my favorite players of all time, and Olympic swimmer um, Michael Phelps. He has 23 uh, gold medals. I picked this picture because I think it illustrates the beauty and the power of their friendship. And also, Ray Lewis looks like a ferocious hugger. Like, I think you got to work out before you can hug Ray Lewis. Powerful friendship here. Some time ago on SportsCenter, Michael Phelps talked about their friendship. Believe it or not, he started the interview with this. He said, I was just a train wreck. I was just a time bomb waiting to go off. No self-esteem, no self-worth. How is it that somebody with 23 gold medals has no self-esteem? Because he learned the same thing a lot of us have learned. He learned the same thing that we know in the gospel that Value and purpose and meaning in life is not found in our accomplishments or praise from other people. And in this interview, he goes on to talk about that he hit rock bottom. He got pulled over for speeding. And not only did he get a ticket, he got arrested again for a DUI. He went home. He spent five days in seclusion and he was at such a low point in his life that he was ready to kill himself. He said this, for a moment I thought I was going to be the end of my life. He goes on to talk about the stuff I was contributing to people who love me. It was just breaking me. I thought the best thing to do was in my life. Enter Ray Lewis. Not just a great football player. Not just a good man. A godly, godly man. He met Michael Phelps in his moment of despair. And Ray Lewis knew what it's like to have a rock bottom moment in life. And he dipped back into his dark past to to be with Michael Phelps in his own mess. Encouraged him to go to really rehabilitation, which he did, but he also gave him a copy of The Purpose Driven Life by Pastor Rick Warren. And Michael Phelps talked about for the first time he discovered, he began to learn that that meaning and joy in life is found in living for something other than himself that there's a God who made us in his image and life is found in knowing him and following him. And I don't know if Michael Phelps, I don't know where he is spiritually with Jesus, but I do know this, that he credits Ray Lewis in reading that book for saving his life. And maybe some of us can relate to Michael Phelps, either being down and out or up and out. We know what it's like to hit rock bottom. And Jesus meets us there. If you are there, would you trust in Jesus? He is the one in whom life is found. But there's also up and out, isn't there? where you reach the height of the success you've been aiming at, and when you get to the top of the mountain, you realize it is not what you thought it was going to be. And it doesn't satisfy the deep need and longing that God designed us with that can only be filled by him. Would you trust in Jesus? Now, The second reason I want to share this is because this beautiful, life-changing, life-saving kind of friendship, as extraordinary as it is, and they're watching it on Center, and they're like, that's amazing. In the church, it's kind of normal. In the church, it's supposed to be normal where we get in each other's messes, not with judgment, but with grace. But not everybody experiences that, do we? Sometimes we keep people at arm's length. and if Listen, I can relate to that. If you're a person who you want to keep people at arm's length, let's talk about that. You can be influenced from a distance, but you can only be known up close. You can be positively influenced from a distance, but you can only be known up close close have you if you like to if you listen to a good podcast or good preachers online and you know you could do that you could be positively influenced but it's no substitute for friendship it's no substitute for the people who really know you you could come every week and be in the crowd And never really develop friendships and get messy in life with other people. You could do that. And if you did, I think you're still going to experience tremendous benefits from gathering together. But eventually it's going to dawn on you and it is going to weigh on you. That you're only experiencing everything from a distance. We were made in the image of a God who has been a community of friendship for all eternity. One in being, three in person, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for all eternity. God has been delighting in friendship among the three members of the Trinity. We are made in his image. We are made for that kind of community and closeness and friendship. And so one of the ways that we facilitate that around here is we try to make it a possibility where we can have that as we do small groups. We're super intentional about that. And I want you to join a small group. But before you do, I should probably give you a couple of facts about small groups. Is that Okay. Here's a small group fact. Commitment trumps chemistry. Who loves chemistry? Don't you love chemistry like when you hang out with someone and like two hours fly by and it feels like it's been five minutes? Don't you love that? Who loves it? Who loves it when you go to someone's house and there's no chemistry and you're having dinner and you're like, oh my goodness, we've just had salad. I can't wait for this to end. (laughs) Anybody? Anybody ever? No pointing. No one likes that. I get that. No one likes that. Here's a vulnerability that we have. We have a vulnerability of relying on chemistry too much. Chemistry is a beautiful thing. We have a vulnerability of relying on it too much. And so relying on chemistry says, I'm going to show up as long as it's easy. I'm going to be around you as long as it's easy. Yeah, I'll be with you as long as it's easy. And I'm not talking about easy and getting there and bending your schedule and getting a babysitter. I'm talking about when you're there, the relationship building part with people. Remember, we've been tracking how we build relationships over the course of this series, and the best relationships are here. High trust, healthy expectations. High trust and healthy expectations. Chemistry gives us the illusion we're already there when we're not. And it takes time to do the right kind of relationship inputs where we're building trust and building healthy expectations together. Commitment says, I'm going to show up. Commitment says, I'm going to be here with you, even if we don't click right away. Commitment says, I'm going to be consistent. Commitment says, you can count on me. And I don't want to be the guy who promises, gives you a false promise, that if you just show up at a group and you're committed, that it's going to be this beautiful kind of experience. But I can promise you this. If you rely too heavy on chemistry and you don't learn to bring in commitment to your relationship, you're likely going to miss out on some profound, God-inspired, life-changing friendships, and I don't want you to miss out. Here's a second fact about small groups. They often start with awkward moments. See, we preached this last night. Nobody said an amen. No No one said amen now either. But come on, this is true, right? Where are my fellow introverts at? Smokers often start with awkward moments. I'll just tell you something about me. Every meaningful friendship I have, every deep relationship that I have, they all started with some awkward moments. And you would be right to say, well, Rick, aren't you the common denominator in all of those experiences? <laughs> yeah, 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 that's true. Listen, I, I am an introvert, and I am sometimes a really, not just introverted, but also socially. I, that's me, I, I get it, I get it. Guilty as charged. Now, I'm married to an extrovert. Any introverts I hear married to an extrovert? Boy, that's a roller coaster ride, ain't it? I have lost track of the number of times in my life that strangers in the drive-thru have given their life story to my wife. What is that about? How do you guys do that? Some of you people have got friendship superpowers. But the rest of us mere mortals. We just gotta embrace the fact sometimes Sometimes beautiful, awesome, God inspired friendships, they're going to start with this. And that's okay. That's okay. Now, before I ask you what you're going to do, let me tell you what we're doing. When I say we, I'm talking about our pastors, I'm talking about our staff members, some of our amazing, incredible volunteer leaders around here. We're creating environments. We're working hard to create environments where these kinds of God-inspired, the kind of relationships God loves to use, where they can blossom, where they can grow, where they can flourish. And if anyone's thinking, Rick, what, gives, what makes you think that you can give me a friendship or make that happen? Great question. That's not what I think. I don't believe that. I don't think I can make a friendship for you, and I don't, I don't know that anybody can do that. But I do believe this, that there are environments that make it more likely. And those are the kind of environments that we're investing in. And so for all of you guys who are comfortable going online using a website, I want you to use our website. If not, just stop by our Connection Center out in the lobby. But if you go to autumnridge.church, on the main page, I want you to click on Fall Kickoff. Our communications team, they've done one of the best jobs I've ever seen of making it just easy to see all the environments that we have that you could plug into, your friends could plug into, your family could plug into. It gives you the opportunity the opportunity to trust God and these things happen. Remember, we're not in this alone. We're trusting in the power of God. We trust his spirit is at work. And when we follow Jesus and we follow the way of Jesus and we participate in it, I just believe that he is going to bring about really good things. Now, I want to share something with you. This is some a lesson I stumbled on. I think it's true. I hate cliches and what I'm going to say sounds like super cliche. Like I, I almost want to throw up in my mouth saying it, but it's just so true. We can grow weeds on accident, but we can only grow crops on purpose. We can grow weeds on accident, but we only grow crops on purpose. Now I know this is a room with people who grew up on a farm. Who grew up on a farm? Is what I just said true? Yeah, it's true, right? We can grow weeds on accident. We only grow crops on purpose. What do you want? What do you need? If you find if you find that you're overinvested in friendships that they're not spurring you on, encouraging you on and growing into Christ likeness. If you feel like you're overinvested in those kind of friendships or if you would say you're underinvested And the friendships that they're spurring you on, encouraging you, being with you in the message of life, helping you to grow in Christ-likeness. Maybe it's because you're not placing yourself in the right kind of environment. Give yourself yourself the gift of placing yourself in the right environment that would allow that to grow and flourish in your life. Would you make that pre-decision? So this is what I'm going to ask you to do. That three... Next steps, they're all one next step, but three ways to look at it. One, predecide that easy isn't the goal. Predecide that easy isn't the goal. My wife, Heather, and I, we've made small groups a big part of our life for the most part of the past 20 years. And over the past 20 years, we've clustered up and we've been with folks. We've been with folks and we have walked through hell together and celebrated on the other side. We've been with people in the high points and the low points of life and they've been with us in the same thing. In our small groups, we have welcomed in newborns. We've buried someone from our small group. We've seen marriages saved. We've seen marriages go off the rail and saved in our small group. We've had a backstage pass in a front row seat to the life of other people. They've had a backstage pass in a front row seat to our life, and we have experienced the sweetness of friendship and experienced the kind of life transformation that only happens when God is at work, when people get together in a smaller group. But it doesn't happen if you're a spectator. And it doesn't happen if you choose, if you choose the easy route and play it safe. There are some people there are some folks, probably not you, but there are some folks, they'll go to small group consistently. But they play it safe, and they take the easy route, and they never really drop their guard and get real and honest and vulnerable with others. And if I have a regret as a pastor, my regret is for those people who go to small groups but keep everybody like this. And probably some of my greatest joys are people who go to small groups, and they relate to everyone else like this. No relationship starts here, but any relationship can get here, and it comes by the inputs that we give. So we're just going to predecide. We're not going to make easy the goal. Here's the second one: predecide that it's okay to start awkward. Now notice this does not say be awkward. It's okay, it's okay to start awkward. Now here's the big one. I want you to just pre-decide. You're gonna get in a group. Have you ever heard it talked about this way? As followers of Jesus, that our maturity is not measured by how much we know. It's measured by how well we love. We're not saying that knowledge isn't important, that what we believe isn't important. All of it's super important. But we're talking about maturity, It's not measured by how much we know. It's measured by how well we love. And throughout the New Testament, there's something like 48 one another commands. Love one another, forgive one another, gather together with one another, bear one another burdens. That kind of stuff, that only happens up close, really in intimate community. Jesus once said this, The people will know that you are my disciples. They're going to know that you are following me. They're going to know. They're going to know the validity and the authenticity of the new life that I have given you. They're going to know it. They're going to see it by how well we what? By how well we love one another. That happens up close. Let's be people who are after the price. Let's be people who are committed to growing in our relationship with Jesus. You need it from other people, and other people need it from you. So let's run after it together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the goodness of your word. God, I thank you for this amazing, beautiful, abundant, full life that is given to us without measure through what Jesus Christ has done. God, thank you. And God, may we be people who step into it, who dance in it, who love it, and who love on one another well. And God, by the way that we are experiencing life together, God, would you use us to be such a clear and beautiful and compelling picture of Jesus and the gospel that more and more and more want in as well.